The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear an earful of brilliance from a marketer who has brought an iconic brand to life. Ready to hear the secrets and untold stories behind the brands you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the rebrand. Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of OH Partners, Scott Harkey. All right. Uh, welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where we'll tell the untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by marketers who've built them. I'm your host and founder of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. Joining us is Dave Fink, who's the founder and CEO of Posty, which is a marketing technology that's transformed direct mail by enabling it to perform like a digital channel. In doing so, Posty has unleashed the medium's potential and locked growth for its advertisers, delivering an average campaign return on ad spend of 1,382%. We got Dave back again. We talked about Buca de Beppo. We've talked about Power CRM. We're going to have one more quick bonus episode on Dollar Shave Club. All right, brother. Dave Fink, founder, CEO of Posties, back uh, three straight uh, for you. I, I don't know how many three straight we've done, but screw it. Let, let's do it. In, in the words of Virgin, great, uh, one of my favorite people of all time. I don't know if anyone's had a chance to watch the new Virgin documentary, but it's freaking insane how Richard Branson built Virgin from nothing out of the UK. Uh, but his famous line is, screw it, let's do it. So screw it, let's do it. Let's do number three. Dave, talk to us about Dollar Shave Club. Let's get right into it. What the hell do they do? Why are they so successful? Yeah, I, I love Richard Branson. I haven't seen the documentary, but I read, I don't know, I don't know if I remember it was called Losing My Virginity or whatever his first um, bi- <laughs> bi- autobiography was. It was awesome. Read it like 20 years ago. I mean, he, he should be, if there's a marketing Mount Rushmore, who are you putting on there? I'm putting Branson. Oh, I'm putting Steve Jobs. I'm putting, this is going to be a controversial one, but I'm going to put him on there. I'm going to put Elon Musk because uh, he, he is a marketer. And last but not least, I think I would go, damn, who's my last one? Jobs, Musk, Branson. And four, I would put, I guess you got to go Nike. I think you got to go Phil Knight, but you could, I would make an argument that I would put Portland ad agency that everyone loves. What can I think of it? My whole agency, it's all we talk about is how much we love this damn agency. Wyden, Wyden and Kennedy. You could make an argument that Wyden should go on there as much as Nike should go on there. So that's my Mount Rushmore of, of marketing. Who are you putting on? I, that, that's a topic. I mean, like, I mean, obviously Steve Jobs is yes. brilliant. I would not have thought of putting Musk on there. And, and it's definitely <laughs> a tricky time right, right now. I, I, what I am fascinated about is I've never seen a human like captivate like the greater world and and be so revered and then like overnight, you know, be so hated. I guess it's, yeah, it's well, remarkable. Cancel culture. Right? We're in a belief economy where, at least for the big brands, it's all about creating this belief. So in a belief economy, like just like back in the old days when you had these marketing wars, just like how you have political wars. And it's it's not about 
in a political business or even early marketing business wasn't about who's the best. It's most people hate a lot easier way to generate emotions. And so it's easier to hate another brand than it is to love one brand. So I, I think part of the cancel culture, in my kind of opinion, it's designed for the belief economy where the more people believe in your brand, the more your brand's valued and brands aren't valued anymore just purely based on sales. They're valued on, on lovability, which is why really smart ones, you know, like Yeti and like Patagonia, they're loved. They've figured out a way to stay out of the, the shit and, and make people love them. So I, I do think that's part of why I think Elon's getting counter He's not helping himself either. If I was his PR person, I'd have a lot of words of wisdom for him in areas to maybe put down the, the mic, but certainly generating belief and generating Buzz. I think people give him credit for being a great inventor and designer, but I mean, just like uh, Jobs, I think he's he's really a marketer. <laughs> you don't go from nothing to to the biggest companies in the world by not being a good marketer. Well, I mean, think about the marketing budget of of like you know Ford and Toyota, and then think about the marketing budget of Tesla. He doesn't market. <laughs> he he gets PR. Sure, and that, and that is marketing, right? He doesn't advertise, perhaps. Correct, but, correct. Um, yeah, and I think that's your point of why yeah. uh, you know why you put why you put him up there. He gets more earned, you know earned media coverage than absolutely the, the rest of the automotive manufacturers put together. One hundred percent. Okay, so we got to go back to the thing. I don't know why ADD today. I don't. I don't know. No, it's, I don't, it, it, it's perfect. Jobs. Who it else you got? Jobs. Who else you got? Oh, we, we really are doing this. I can't believe we're putting me in a spot like this. I mean, look, let, let's go. Let's go you can go brand. Uh, it doesn't have to be person. Go brand. Well, so it's not just brand, right? It, 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 I mean, it, it, brand is not just a business per se, but look, I'm, I'm, I grew up in Chicago during the 90s. So yeah. who's on there? Michael Jordan. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Nike, Gatorade, Jordan brand. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know that, that you, could, you could lump in Jordan to Nike, but I mean, Jordan's his own brand. And For sure. He's his own brand, and he was as important to Nike as he was to the NBA. It, yeah, it, it just yeah that, that those David Stern era, you know years. I think it was remarkable, but you just couldn't take your eyes off him. You couldn't take everybody was a Bulls fan. Yeah, everybody wanted the Air Jordans, and still does. A hundred percent. in the music world, I think I would look and say like someone like Bono up there. Bono. I, I thought from Chicago you're going to say Kanye West, but I like Bono. But Bono's a little. <laughs> Excuse me, who? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kanye, yeah, Kanye, yeah I, okay. Uh, so, so you got Bono, we got Steve Jobs, and we got Jordan. One more. Uh, I like I Bono. Bono, I, I mean, uh, it's, 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 who it's doesn't like Bono? Yeah. Got one more. One more. I mean, I don't know. This is not, it's probably not true, but I'm, I'm, you can't see my background right now, but I'm, I'm a guitar music guy. A music guy. I got, um, I got a bunch of guitars up here and, Certainly to me, when I think of brand, I think of emotional connection. I think of things that don't need to be marketed, things that are recognized from a distance based on shape and so on or whatever. And so, you know, F- Fender. Um, oh, yeah. It's not Leo Fender, but it's the Fender, what the Fender guitar stands for. Um, I love you said, well, Fender's an Arizona company. So I'm in, I'm in Arizona and Phoenix and know Fender well. And I mean, they're a great great company. So yeah, I, I love, that's a great one. And I actually went to Gibson when I was in Nashville. Really interesting story. The Levi's CMO left Levi's after he built them up and is running Gibson. They have a whole downtown Nashville thing. Gibson's great too, but something about Fender 
as being like, you know, the real, not the real musicians, but some of the least most passionate musicians I know. It's like, yeah, Fender for sure. Yeah. And you know, the headstack of the guitar, like, you know, you, you see it on stage, you know, who's playing a Fender represents the blues or represents country. Or, I mean, you know, it's certainly rock and roll. I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that my favorite brand I'm not saying this belongs on, on the, the Rushmore brands, but but you you brought it up. It is Patagonia. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out why. I mean, I literally have like 22 Patagonia jackets in hanging in my closet. It's, like, it's absurd. I feel good when I walk into one of their flagship stores. I always yeah. feel good buying from them. And I think part of it's that you know, growing up an action sports enthusiast and a snowboarder and whatnot, and I remember like it was an aspirational brand. I would look at it and say like, oh, I can't wait till I can afford a Patagonia you know, jacket. And um, fortunately, you know, I'm in a position as an adult where they're not that expensive compared to, you know, couture, you know, fashion. My yeah. Patagonia jacket's 200 bucks. But I've been loyal to that brand for 30 years, yeah. leaving in it, feeling good about it. And then Yvonne Chouinard donates his company, right? And whether you believe in the cause that, that he's supporting or not, you do believe authenticity. And so instead of just passing that company on to his kids... He sets it up as a as a foundation, and ninety eight percent of profits are going to support a cause that the brand was always. Yeah, they always said that they were, that they were passionate about, and put, I mean, talk about putting your money where your mouth is. He and Patagonia is the textbook case study for how brands are doing it well and extraordinary. And I've never seen a brand so university loved in so many different political cultures. It's unheard of. And that's what I really love about it. And that's why I use it as an example in a very hypercharged political world and where brands are finding themselves on different political sides of the aisle, which is super interesting. Hasn't really been done in history that I know of as much. And for Patagonia to mean so many different things to so many different people and stay out of the political culture side of it, but to be in this like league of their own kind of. And I do think it's because truly the the guy is authentic in what he believes and there's no bullshit about it. There's no fakeness about it. And so, yeah, it's it, it's kind of the annoying case study right now because it's just so damn good. But yeah, I completely agree. You're, you're, you're totally right. Let's talk about Dollar Shave Club. We, got, we, we, we digress. As you, as, it's appropriate because it's it, a brand. I love it. I, just, I fucking, I love marketing, man. I love... It's so uh, unique to, I think, any other craft and everything matters. Every touch point matters. Every tactic matters. Every even unsaid, unspoken energy from a brand that has certain thoughts or bias will reveal itself. And it's a really interesting time to be in marketing. And uh, we've seen so many brands get fried and they're gone. And then we've seen so many other brands make comebacks like Levi's, like Vans, you know, like I love Vans. I love what Vans is doing. Like, how does Vans come back? I freaking love it. You know, they, they are who they are. Vans represents a piece. When I wear Vans, it represents a part of me, truly. Like, I wouldn't wear Gucci or, you know, some shit like that. Some people love Louis Vuitton and Gucci and I, I would be caught dead in that shit. Like, I love Vans because it's kind of a part of me. So it's just really cool. So I love, I know we're going down a wormhole, but. I think Dollar Shave Club has been interesting. It's been acquired by Unilever. Again, Dubin was a genius when he created that viral video. Our fucking blades are great. Caught a lot of people's attention. The story is really unique of how his like crazy uncle basically found these like old shaver blades. <laughs> uh, and he had to get rid of them. 
But man, I'll bet because what a subscription business, I'll bet they knew a lot about their customers and I'll bet there was a way to increase something. And so my guess is you guys did something like that. I want to hear it. <laughs> well, no, no. so um, look, that the to me, Dollar Shave Club, man, has this such an emotional place in my, in my heart for a few reasons. One, it was a, it was really a transformation for me and how I thought about marketing. So I, I grew up as like, like a hyper quant, right? It was all about performance marketing. It was all about thinking about behavioral economics and social psychology and what button colors and what font size is and what <laughs> sounds, all, all the things that like the casinos, you talked about this a couple of <laughs> Like, From the moment I had you on the podcast, I'm like, this is definitely a performance marketing guy. I love it. So that was my background, right? And, and yeah. it was. It was, you know, do you, is free in all caps or is there an exclamation mark at the end of it? And and how many words should be in this? Right. And and I love that, right? I love the math and being able to like prove not having to be right, just having to know how to test and then and then letting the math speak for itself. So you know, for the, the first probably, yeah, 12 years of my career, like, like I kind of like rolled my eyes like, oh, those brand guys, those brand gals, like, oh my God, like, like that's not what it's about. Like I can, you know, drive Good brand people will convert performance marketing people and good performance marketing people can, you know, convert brand people. That's our job. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Well, Dubin certainly did it, right? Like, I mean, the, the, the story close in like the lure of, of Dubin and, and like the idea is that the guy showed up to our incubator with a... Really mediocre website that I think I think I'm being generous, and he'd probably a, a, agree with me. And a palette of razors that he had access to, and this idea of yeah, you know, this was 2011 or thereabouts, and it was you know direct consumer commerce was just becoming a thing, and subscription commerce was moving away from like a shady business where it's all like negative option continuity, free trials, all that stuff, and becoming a smarter way for consumers to to buy. And Mike, because he's a brilliant storyteller. He's funny. He's thoughtful. I mean, he you know he he had this rough cut of the video, and at that point we had a thesis on direct consumer commerce and subscription and reoccurring revenue, and so we were going to make a bunch of bets in that space. And I don't think any of us thought per se that the idea of selling consumers or, or selling razors through the internet directly to consumers, you know, for a few bucks a piece, was like was the end all be, be all business model. Like I arguably like that was my concern was that there's not enough lifetime value in it. There's not enough margin per transaction. But mm-hmm. you fell up with Dubin. He, he was incredibly passionate and he had this rough cut of the video that we all like gathered around a laptop and watched and laughed and nobody knew what the heck it was going to become. Like nobody knew the term viral video. So for six months after making the first investment in the business, you know, we watched, you know, Mike methodically kind of control every aspect of the story of how he wanted to tell this David and Goliath story of, you know, we're being taken advantage of by probably the biggest conglomerate in the world and Gillette. And they own 80% of Procter & Gamble that owns Gillette. And they own 80% of the razor market. And we've all felt the pain of like feeling like a criminal going to buy razor blades because it's behind a, a, like a key, like a glass, you know, locked case or like an alarm goes up when you lift up the case at, if you're at a CVS or whatever. And, and the reason being is it's the highest stolen item in the, in the market because they're overcharging for a product that everybody needs. Like nobody wants to spend $60 on yeah, 12 razor blades and a handle. Like that's crazy. So the brilliance of, I think, of, of Dollar Shave Club was it was just methodically, this story was methodically built and told. It captivated kind of the imagination of the public. And it came about and launched at a time that, there, that that social media wasn't so crowded. And YouTube was just becoming YouTube. It was just becoming a platform that was algorithmically driven so that you know, the more 
engagement video had, the the better it, it indexed. Facebook was just becoming Facebook. And so the day that, that Mike launched that business, that brand, it crashed the website. I don't remember the yeah. numbers anymore. It was like 3 million video views, which is unheard of back at, at that point. It was all hands on deck. You know, our engineers you know, were literally working around the clock trying to get the site back up. Like We were literally just filling razors out of our office. It was just zebra printers, like printing labels around the clock. These things were smoking and like whoever... You know, could grab a label and pack out, like pack, you know, an envelope and get it in the mail was invited. But to me, the the biggest piece is like, yes, Dollar Shave Club was an absolute performance marketing machine. Adam Weber was the CMO there, built an incredible team. They worked with the best agencies of the day. But what made what what I saw for the first time up close was that when you build an authentic brand and you're mission driven and you tell a consistent story and you leverage earned media and brand building, all the performance marketing becomes incremental versus taking like a non-brand story and optimizing all the conversion tactics to like eke out 2% here, 1% there, half percent there. The difference is you go from you know, zero to you know, $400 million in four years and a billion dollar exit. Okay, so hold on. Wait, help me understand your connection to Dollar Safe Club. I mean, you, you certainly have an intimate connection there. Help our listeners understand Dollar Safe Club a little bit and your kind of connection. Yeah, for sure. So I had a super fun job for many years. I was one of the founding partners at a tech studio slash incubator out of Santa Monica, California called Science. And we, for many years, invested in you know, seed capital into re- really, you know, most of like PowerPoint deck stage companies, you know, people like Mike Dubin, who had an idea of a company that they wanted to launch. And needed, you know, wanted to launch from a platform and had some support because they were first-time entrepreneurs. So we would provide um, initial seed capital, but also a lot of hands-on support, whether it be helping them with subsequent rounds of funding, whether it's hiring and, and building out their executive team, whether it's helping them build technology or run some media strategy. So really anything that a company needed to go from an idea to proof of, of concept to scale we did. And so with, with Dollar Shape Club, Mike built, we were first money in. We helped him launch yeah. the business. Um, you're, so you're almost he, like a performance marketing and capital infusion kind of company in one. A little bit. Yeah. It's, a, it's like seed, it's seed venture. It's consulting and, and hands-on executional support. It's certainly performance marketing. I think in the early days, we were doing their Facebook buying and maybe search. Uh-huh. Yeah, so a little bit of everything with the idea of helping entrepreneurs de-risk the launch of their business. And were you involved in some of the performance marketing side of things? Yeah, yeah. The wow. um, my role in the organization was the, the the growth and marketing partner, and so we, cool. yeah, I had the the fun of building out a a team that ranged from engineers to media buyers to analysts and designers. And you know, it was so many years ago now, but I I believe that the first two years, maybe three years, I know we were running their search. I believe we did we were running their Facebook in the early days. I think then Ampush ended up taking it over, if you remember that agency and scaling. I think we I think we certainly helped hire his first handful of of key executives like um, you know, Adam Weber, who's the CMO, and yeah. Kevin Datu, who was the COO and eventually um, I think president GM. She's an awesome cast of characters. That's cool. Adam, if you're out there, we, we want to have you on. We're obviously fans. Okay, so let me 
kind of recap what I heard a little bit because I think it's, it's really cool as a performance guy where you really understood the power of the brand from this viral video and how much it, it made performance marketing easier. And there was a true, and I'm adding this, like multiplication effect to the performance. But you do need them both. You just can't have the brand without the performance. You can have the performance without the brand side. My take on, on Dollar Shave Club and some other great brands, and I think some of the best brands in the world find a, a subculture of almost a movement right there. And, and what I would say is like Nike at its best. Nike's, Nike found a subculture in the beginning and continued it where people were fighting against the apathy they have as an athlete inside, right? Like they, like, it, like great brands are fighting against something. Actually, they're not trying to get you to do something. They're, they're getting a group of people to fight against something. And Dollar Shave Club, as its example, truly found people that were tired of the big boys ripping people off in terms of shavers, right? And, you know, you should have a great shaver at a great price. And, and it was true. I mean, Gillette and the Mach 3 and all these people, they were gouging people for the shavers. So they really kind of tapped into this culture. And so I love that. I, I, and I think that's why it, it was more than the viral video. The viral video is kind of what put them on the map from a buzz standpoint. And boy, pretty efficient when you get, you know, millions of free views of a video on YouTube. Which never freaking happens. Uh, by the way, people are always like, how do I create a value video? It's like, well, you, you get freaking lucky. There's certainly steps and things you can do, but tough to do. But I love what you're talking about in terms of the performance side and how you were involved in that. And, uh, I think Dollar Shave Club is, is a great example of performance marketing done right and viral and brand marketing done right. You, you certainly need both. You, you don't become the fastest unicorn ever. And I still don't think there's been a faster unicorn than Dollar Shave Club. He's still working at Unilever, right? Yeah, he was there for a lot for a long time. He 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 cared a lot about that business that he that he built and that brand, and so he wanted to do everything in his power to to make sure that um, it was transitioned mm-hmm. properly into yeah conglomerate. But I think at some point it was yeah time for him to to go to, yeah you know, figure out the next job. Entrepreneur working at Unilever, what could go wrong? <laughs> he was okay. I, he, he lasted a lot of years. Uh, what a great story. I'm, I'm glad you were on again. I know we had a bonus episode. We were all over the place, but thank you for coming on. I'm way, way over time on like three different episodes. So I'm sure I'll uh, obsess about the analytics of how long people listen to this later. But for now, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Rebrand Podcast. Thanks again to all our listeners, all our support. Um, thanks to this marketing community we've somewhat accidentally created, but we want to support and continue to provide value. And so keep us uh, honest to make sure we continue to provide value with with your listenership and your subscribes and your shares and all that. We're going to end for now. Big, big, big thanks to Dave. Dave Fink, the founder and CEO of Posty. Till next time. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to the podcast, head over to rebrandpod.com. We'll have summaries and episodes and contact information. You can always subscribe to our newsletter. And if you have a great marketing campaign or you're doing some cool marketing shit, we want to hear about it. So apply to be a guest speaker on the Rebrand Podcast. We went from getting like a couple things a week. We're getting like 20, 30 a week. So we're going to have only the best of the best on. So if you think you're the best, let's let's see it. We want to have you on. And that's we're not trying to be braggy or whatever. But um, we just want to have great people on doing cool shit in the marketing industry so we can learn from each other. And our goal here is only to create value, only to add value to marketers out there because we're not learning in traditional school ways anymore. The four P's or five P's or other shit, yeah, that, that's done. We're, we're doing real life marketing uh, here. One 
more humble brag. Big thanks to our producer, Benjamin Shapiro, and I Hear Everything. This last week, we were just voted the number one business podcast on Apple Podcast. Number one, which is insane. We thought we would crack top 25 at some point, but to be number one is incredible. So thank you to those who are listening and promoting us and talking about us. It's weird as a creative to put something out there and not know if it is going to add value to people's lives or people are going to learn and to see that it is and the people have spoken. It's freaking awesome. Number one marketing podcast in the US and we were the number one business podcast. That won't last. Uh, I'm pretty sure we just had the Rocket Mortgage CMO on. We had a bunch of other breaks and you know, our SEO is working. So we're getting a lot of lucky bounces, but we'll freaking take it. So thank you to everybody. You can find us on all the social channels, obviously at Rebrand Pod. We're just building that up. Not a lot of people are following there. So it might be easier to follow my personal at Scott Harkey on Instagram, on, on TikTok and all the shit. Twitter, Sharky AZ. So please follow me. Reach out if you want to get connected. I, I mean, this is a community of marketers. So we want to continue that going. And again, if you haven't subscribed and you want that marketing brilliance every week, we got it. We come, we come to you every day during the work week. So Monday through Friday, there's a new podcast every freaking day. So we want to be in that little loyalty channel where maybe uh, how I built this and maybe, you know, the, the daily and then it's uh, at rebrand and that those those are the podcasts you want to see right in your phone and, and it's there. Okay. Till next time, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand. Thanks everybody for all the support. Appreciate y'all.